This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The bounce all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Munson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman German can obnoxious, what you'll face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday in Athens podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. If you would, go give us a rating on wherever you get your podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or you know Google or wherever you listen to your podcast. Go on there and, and give us a rating. Subscribe to us if you don't subscribe already. And if you're feeling really ambitious and just love your co-host, leave us a review too. That stuff's really helpful to get folks to tune in. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, and we link those in all of our show notes. So please give us a follow on there as well if you don't follow us already. whole reason Boss and I do this because we want to engage with in as many of y'all as possible and essentially just have... A big old bar full of dogs fans and just just talk dogs with you. Boss, we are uh, coming off quite the weekend. The dogs absolutely dominated the Gators. You were in Jacksonville. Your first time going to the cocktail party. Why don't you start us off by giving us a little recap of your trip and, and kind of how everything was. First off, dogs dominate the Gators. First half didn't really go the way we thought until those last two and a half minutes or so, but Atmosphere was really, really good on the dog side. The gator side was not. Um, I, I know you said that it didn't look that packed on the TV copy. In the stadium, it looked a little more packed in the first half. In the second half, it looked like a ghost town. Um, weekend, really good. We went to the Brandon Boykin, uh, Shane Matthews uh, tailgate, which was really crowded, but still a lot of fun. Um, then went to the Jacksonville Bulldog Club uh, parking lot tailgate, ran, met some great people, you know, a lot of fun there too. Then, I mean, the stadium, you know, while in my opinion, not the best NFL stadium in the world, still a really good place to see a ball game. Um, first time there since 02 when I used to go to the Gator Bowl every year. So, really love the new video boards, love the renovations, great stadium, and really. It was kind of like when we were in Charlotte, you know, they really did it. They really do a good job of trying to make it a home atmosphere for both, even though the Gators were technically the home team this year, you know, did light up Sanford between the third and fourth quarter. The atmosphere was really awesome. The band was really good. And then even when the Gators were still down, you know, by a ton in the fourth, they still did the, the Gator stuff for the few Gator fans that were left. So I like that for neutral site games, the fact they try to engage both fan bases. So I, I thought it was a really cool atmosphere. Can't wait to go back next year. Yeah, it, it was an interesting game because I think the expectation, at least from the two of us, was that they would come out hot and kind of start hot, stay hot. And I thought the offense kind of looked like it had a little bit of a hitch in its step. And I don't know how much of that was us and how much of that was Florida's defense forcing us to be that way. Um, but, you know, if you take away that flurry in that final two minutes – 
I mean, if if Florida had made the choice to just kind of try to grind it out, and I know, look, they I, it seemed like that's what they were trying to do on the play where Nolan Smith made the strip. I mean, I think that was just an a example of Nolan Smith not giving up on a play and making something happen. So, you know, it's kind of hard to what if this and say, oh, they should have run it out. I think they were trying to run out the clock or at least try to burn some clock. But, you know, you take away those essentially 21 points all set up by the defense because that they were. I mean, yes, Stetson completes a 30-plus yard pass to Kiaris in the end zone, which was a beautiful ball and a beautiful catch and for him to stay in bounds. But it really could have been 3 nothing at halftime. And I was having this conversation with my brother earlier this week. If it is that, it's a different ball game, right? <laughs> like, yeah. the offense is sputtering. I think at that point, you start to wonder, are they going to make a switch at quarterback? I mean, you know, the defense, as it's done all year, has really – covered up any and all of Georgia's warts if there are any. And I think, you know, you have another you have another situation where Jack Podlesny misses a kick. I mean, there's there's some things in that game where if you want to be a worrier, you could worry about. But the flip side of that is the ultimate equalizer is that defense. And I mean, look, Nolan made a great play and I think it needs to be highlighted because that gives them the touchdown that makes it 10 nothing, and I think loosened them up. I really do. I think as it got further along and they were down 3 nothing, I think they were a little, you know, you could kind of see it was a little tenser than it has been all year. But, dude, for me, most outstanding play of the game was freaking Trayvon Walker on the first interception. I mean, yeah. can we talk about a defensive lineman not only dropping into coverage – but leaping, tipping the ball, I mean, dude, the more I watched it, the more my brain was just in a pretzel trying to figure out how a man of that size that plays the D-line makes a play with that kind of athleticism. Like, if I was building an NFL tape for Trayvon Walker, I would just put that on a loop for 30 minutes, that one play, because it was unreal. And he really hasn't got talked about enough, I don't think, when it comes to that play. Like, yes, Nolan Smith made the interception, and it was awesome perfect tip ball execution like Trayvon Walker made an otherworldly play right there I mean just an incredible play so that was a big one for me and then Nicobe jumping that route was incredible as well and I think we texted about this but and he should be in this conversation Jordan Davis should it's justified that he's in the Heisman Trophy conversation but I also want to put forth that if Jordan is in the conversation, and dude, he was second in the athletic straw poll last week for their voting. Jordan Davis was for the Heisman. I think Nicobe needs to be in the list. And he was in, I think, the top five or top six on the athletic straw poll. But like, Nicobe is having a transcendent season. So, yeah, I, I, it was just an interesting game for me. I mean, obviously, the end story is they, they beat the pants off of Florida, which is what we expected. Covered the spread easy, very easily could have been a shutout. But, I mean, did you have any of those feelings like, yes, this was good, but also, man, this thing could have looked a little bit different if the defense doesn't do what the defense does for that two-minute stretch? Well, it's kind of hard when you're in there and you have all the emotions and the adrenaline of being in the stadium and the crowd and everything to kind of look at everything objectively. 
So while I was in there during the first half, I couldn't think straight for those last three minutes. But as the game went on the third and fourth quarter, and it, it kind of reminded me the South Carolina game in 17, a game where Georgia went in, you know, you expected Georgia to win and went handedly, but it was just kind of a sluggish ho-hum performance. I, I mm-hmm. can't th- really think of a different that's the best comparison I could think of. And I was trying to think of this on my drive home of the, the last few years. Like I can't think of a comparison of a game where we went in, we were expected to win big. We still won the game and we won pretty convincingly, but it just wasn't that dominant performance that you expected from start to finish, but mm-hmm. the scoreboard still looked really good at the end. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's a good way to, I think, describe it. Cause that's what it was for me. I think my expectation was they were going to go out and have a 2017 cocktail party-esque performance where it was just all dogs from start to finish. And I don't know. They just looked, I think sluggish is kind of the right word. They looked a little sluggish. I think notably on offense, which again, they do take their opening offensive drive and go right down the field. And I thought looked really in sync. And then Jack misses the field goal. So it is what it is. Uh, tell me this, because some people talked about this who were at the game. How was the wind? Because some people talked about, depending on what end of the stadium you were in, the wind was kind of swirly, and maybe that had something to do with the kick, and maybe it had something to do with the two ball, uh, deep balls sets and through kind of hanging in the air. Um, well, I can uh, tell it, you that where the end that I was on, I was on the end that had the Florida in the end zone. So, and for me, because of where I was sitting, I was right in an open corner of the end zone. So I could feel it. I could tell you that it got chilly quick. Like by the yeah. end of the first quarter, my sweatshirt was on. So, and I don't get cold. So let me put it that way. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, was freezing. Yeah, it was chilly and it was, it was whipping pretty good. Now I could tell um, on the play that he overthrew lad. I think that was the first quarter, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, in the yeah. Left, 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 in, left corner of the end zone. That one. I don't know if the wind caught it or that that one I thought just sailed on him. Like it just looked like the wind, it, everything looked like the wind caught it. Punts, field goals, passes. And it wasn't just him. I mean, it was on the Florida side too. Everything looked like the wind was affecting it. The wind was whipping once you got up, you know, in the 200 section and above. So anything you were trying to throw deep or punt or kick, you know, the wind was definitely having an effect on it. I thought that was the healthiest that Kieras has looked. I mean, that was a play that I thought was very trademark Kiaris, that touchdown catch. You know, not just getting the separation, but also making the grab and getting, you know, a foot or a hip or whatever they deemed he got in for the score, I thought was a very 2020 Kiaris type play. And I wouldn't say we've seen that yet this season, which is encouraging. Um, And then, you know, dude, I don't know that – I don't know that Ladd and Brock had more than a catch a piece, maybe a couple catches a piece. Brock had the big one, and I don't think he had maybe one other catch all game. I don't remember. I mean, I'd have to look at the stat sheet, but I don't remember Ladd having a catch. But, I mean, again, I was yeah. in the stadium, so I don't remember Ladd. I remember him being targeted, but I don't remember him actually having a catch. I do want to go back, and this is – I don't want to make this a quarterback discussion because we could talk about talk about it all day. The – Quarterback discussion has been the offense runs smoother with JT there. 
JT sees the field better. I've never agreed with that until this week. And it might've been because of where I was sitting and I could see it, you know, two quarters from where, from Stetson's back, see Stetson's point of view. There were two plays. One was that pass that he overthrew Ladd and the first interception on the play that he overthrew throws Ladd. And I don't know if you can see this on the TV copy, but clear as day where, where I am sitting, he has Kyrus running butt naked across on like a deep end or a flood um, across the right side, never looks at him. Now that may not be the read. I understand that, but I mean, he's, there's no one within 15 yards of him at all. It's an easy 30, 40 yard pickup. Once he gets the ball, no one is around him at all on the first interception. When he throws it into double coverage, I understand the ball hung, not trying to make this quarterback uh, conversation. He has, I can't remember who it was, but he has it again on the other side of the field. He has a, someone literally standing on the sideline about seven yards down the field. Now, this probably would have been his check down, but there's no one else around the person at all. Like literally no one within 15 yards of them. Once they get the ball, it's an easy 15 yards down the field pickup, just running, running by themselves. So, so the game was featured on SEC Inside this week, which I think it, I think they go where SEC Nation goes normally. Um, I think the exception to that may be the week that SEC Nation was in town for the Kentucky game. I don't think they were on SEC Inside that week. But the game was featured on SEC Inside. I watched it last night. And there was an interesting nugget on the sideline where just after the first interception, they have shots and audio of Stetson talking to John Fitzpatrick and telling him, oh, I can't throw that ball. Like, I didn't, number one, I didn't give you a shot. And number two, it's, it's too much coverage. Like, I never should have thrown that ball. And so, like, I think he was cognizant of it as soon as it happened. Because I, I, a lot of people were – kind of trying to explain that one away. And I mean, dude, he came over immediately and just owned it. Like, I can't make that throw. So I think it's good that he's cognizant of it, but like, I also don't want him to do it again. Right. Like there was a, he, he had a couple throws that I, I thought were dicey, but again, I'm with you. I, I don't want to get into who runs the offense better, blah, blah, blah. Uh, dude, I'm not at practice every day. I don't know what they're seeing. You know what I mean? Like that's what I always try to play into this is like, I'm not there every day. So and most of the people that are commenting on it aren't either. So this is one of those things where and we've talked about this a ton. I'm going to trust Kirby. He makes a choice. Go with it. Um, I think that they value his mobility, obviously. And he made some plays on Saturday with his feet that were obvious. I mean, he has the big scramble. He has the busted play with Zeus where they go to the wrong side on the zone read that he turns into a positive play. I think all those things are valuable, you know. The only bugaboo with Stetson is the turnovers is, Hey dude, don't, don't make that throw, like throw it in the first row. Like we don't, we don't need you to be a hero. I think the troubling thing on Saturday too, is the two picks. I'm almost positive. We're both on first down. Like, Hey brother, let's live to, let's live to see another, another down day. here. Yeah. <laughs> like I, no need to make either one of those throws. And I know Aaron Murray came out and did the breakdown on the second one. And said, look, Florida did a good job of disguising the coverage, and I probably would have got picked too. But I think the point is you just can't have the ball be where he threw it. You know what I mean? Like, I think you got to put that somewhere else. So, yeah, again, it is what it is. Neither one of them ended up hurting. Um, 
but it's just the things that you evaluate and think about is, Hey, let's, let's learn from this and not make that throw and not do it again. There was also a scene from SC inside of Monk and with them, with the quarterbacks and specifically talking to Stetson at halftime saying, you know, like, look, we can't, we can't make that throw. Like we, we got to go here and do this very calm and very measured. It was funny. They had two clips of Monken on there. And he didn't drop an F bomb in either one, which if you know anything about coach Monken, should be shocking to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I was laughing out loud. I was like, you know, those are the only two clips that sec insights cameras caught where coach wasn't dropping some type of expletive. Um, so yeah, but I, I, here's the thing, right. And I, I think there is a lot of truth to this. Look, man, if the defense keeps playing like they've played, and this is opponent independent, I think the offense, as long as they don't make any catastrophic mistakes, dude, a ham sandwich could run the offense and it's going to be okay, right? Like, I, I think that's getting a little bit more blown out of proportion because, I don't know, I, again, I think people in their brains have conflated 2021 Alabama with the, with the Alabamas of old, and I... Again, I was having this conversation with my brother. Of all the years, dude, Alabama's gettable this year. If they're going to get gotten, it's this year. Like they have cracks. They're not. They're not invincible. And I, I think Georgia's defense should get some credit for what they would do to that offense, like they've done to every other offense. I mean, dude, Florida's offense is not a slouch. They came in averaging. I think. I think they were tied for Georgia with, or maybe tied for second, something like that for yards per play on offense. So it's not like they're a bad offense. Georgia just did to them what they do to everybody. And that's yep. make them look bad. So I don't know, man. I, I just, it was just an interesting game from a watching perspective. And again, a lot of that was probably due to my expectations for what I thought they were going to do compared to what they did do. And again, we're kind of wringing our hands about a game. They won 34 seven. And in all honesty, probably should have shut out Florida. In, right. So I mean, I'm not, I'm not moaning about it. I'm just saying we're getting into kind of that grind in those dog days of November from a season perspective. And yeah. you just want them to keep their foot on the gas, right? Like, let's come yeah. out and keep destroying people. Well, I do want to say one other thing about this is outside the game and about the comments and Kirby made the comments about Stetson's mobility. And this is going back. This is tying back into what I've been saying all season. Georgia will go as far as the offensive line gels. And I hate to say it, but I feel like they've progressed this as the season has gone on. I feel like the last three games, the offensive line has gotten worse. And I don't know what the fix is. I really don't. And it's not like it's one person that's making the mistakes. It's it, They're missing assignments. They're... It's fundamental. Like they're not playing sound. They're just, it, I don't know what it is. I, 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 when I went back and watched the TV copy, I didn't get through the whole thing, but I watched um, the majority of the second half because that's where I wasn't paying as much attention when I was um, in the game. And that's when they were trying to grind the clock and stuff like that. It was just basic uh, switches and, you know, blitz pickups and, you know, just communication stuff. And they were just, it was, it's almost like they were just, like you said, dog days of November. They were just kind of lackadaisical. Like the focus wasn't there, which is what you're not used to on a Kirby coach team. And I kind of started noticing that against Kentucky when I made the comment about Salyer where you've got that play turned around. And it's kind of just kind of gotten a little worse here and there. And man, that, that's got to get fixed before we get into the playoffs or, you know, it's going to be a, 
a quick trip. Well, and again, this yeah. may go back to, like I said, we're not at practice every day. This may be one of these things where they evaluate film and go, hey, look, Stetson's ability to get on the edge or make something out of nothing is something that we feel like we need to have given how we're evaluating the play of our offensive line. Um, and I, I do want to say, like, I think a lot of this is tough to evaluate too because they're essentially playing in these natural plays. I mean, other than the Clemson game, no game they've played in has been tight, really, at all. Yeah. They've, trailed for, they've trailed for, what, 11, 11 plays, plays all season? So I, that's some of it. That's the one thing, one thing that makes me nervous about SEC title game potentially against Alabama and or a matchup in the playoffs with a team that can score and get vertical is this team has not yet had to face being down and how to respond to that. So if somebody comes out and punches them in the mouth and gets up 10 nothing or 14 nothing, how does A, the team respond, but B, how does the offense respond? Because that's been my one argument is that we haven't seen anything to indicate that this is an offense that could play from behind and, and play NASCAR and, and you know go fast and catch up. Now, I'm not, not saying they can't do that because they've got the weaponry to do so if need be. Just saying, we don't know. So I think that's something interesting to watch because we're not going to see that tested in the next four games. That won't get tested against Mizzou. It won't get tested against Tennessee. It's certainly not going to get tested against Charleston Southern. And it won't get tested against Georgia Tech. So first time that may or may not happen would be SEC title game. So, you know, th these are the things you just think about and worry about, I think, wring your hands about when you have a team like Georgia that has been the clear cut best team in the country and just dominated everyone that they've played. But I think it's things to, to think about, right. And see what possibly could happen. Um, I do want to talk to you about Mizzou just because obviously that's the next game on the schedule. So we should talk about it, but you know, spread this week is depending on the site, 37 and a half, 38 and a half, somewhere in that framework, which is three points higher than they were favored against Vandy. You know, let that sink in. They are favored by more points against Mizzou than they were against Vandy, which I think is as much a commentary on Mizzou as it is on us. Um, Mizzou is bad, and I think everybody should, you know, take stock of that. They are capital B-A-D bad. They have the worst defense in the SEC. They give up more points and more yards than any team in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, they needed every bit of Tyler Beatty's career day on Saturday to beat Vandy. So um, Georgia should come out and absolutely have a field day on Saturday. Um, it should essentially turn into all the starters can hang out and enjoy the halftime uh, presentation and honoring of Coach Rick because the game will be over. <laughs> I mean, this will not be close. I think the dogs will cover, and I will, in all honesty, be shocked if they don't have their third SEC shutout. I just think they are going to absolutely blow the doors off Mizzou. I, and I also saw today – that Connor Basilak is now questionable. So if he doesn't play, oh boy, could get real bad. But I think what that does is presents an interesting question and an interesting watch to see what they do at quarterback. I will be shocked if JT does not get multiple drives on Saturday. Um, if for no other reason, just to give him some game reps, right? Like, cause that's what Kirby's kept saying is, well, you know, you know, Stetson has had more practice time. He's had more reps. And I think that's probably real. 
I think they were probably really, really cautious with bringing him back early from the lat because it's easily something you could re-aggravate. And I think they want to have him healthy because if something did happen to Stetson, I don't think they feel comfortable rolling with Carson. I mean, that's my feeling on it. I think they're kind of treating JT with kid gloves because they want to have him available if they need him. Or conversely, if they end up going with him as the number one, they want to have Stetson behind him. I don't think they want to roll Carson out there in a game where meaningful snaps are there to be had. Uh, So I think that'll be interesting to watch, see what JT gets and then see what they end up doing against Tennessee. I mean, Tennessee is going to be a three thirty kick. It's in possible. I think we'll know what their plan is at quarterback during the Tennessee game. That's kind of my feel for it, but I think Mizzou is going to, going to play as almost like an exhibition for them to get both guys some snaps come Saturday. Is that what you think? I agree with that, and I also agree with what you said about Carson. And not because Carson doesn't have talent, it's because I think Carson mentally has checked out. And that's not what you want. I think Carson's thinking about where his next destination is. I don't see any circumstance where Carson is on this team come January 1, unless somehow the dogs absolutely implode here these next four weeks and don't even make, and don't, there's no shot at the playoffs. Um, which I don't obviously don't see happening, but I don't see there's a shot Jan- January one that Carson plays out the season. I just don't. But I think that JT the the rust factor is real. You know, going into the season, you have you know you have fall camp, you have practice against your number one the, your number one defense, your number two defense, your scout team, and you have practice with your guys. And when you're coming back after not practicing for three weeks and just basically doing soft toss um, to loosen up the lat, get strength back in it you don't have that live fire. And when you do get the live fire, you're splitting those reps with someone who they're prepping to get ready for the game plan for that week. So you still don't really have the full live fire. So I think that they have to get him in the game this week. They have to get him game reps. I was honestly quite surprised that they didn't get him last week in last week, but I think that's because the game didn't go the way that they expected to. I think if it's 24, nothing, you know, middle of second quarter, then he's probably playing middle of third quarter. But the fact that it was, you know, 24, nothing, the offense looked really sluggish and they wanted to, you know, make sure that Setson was going to get his reps in and get the offense going, um, which never really happened. But you you know what I mean? I think that they wanted to make sure that the offense kind of gelled a little bit before they put JT in. And plus, I mean, Florida was playing with nothing to lose and they were blitzing us every single play. So they weren't going to care if they, you know, if they put, we put JT in and JT got hurt again. So something put on Grantham's belt at that point. So JT has to get some live reps this week. Otherwise, you know, then it's another two weeks because I don't foresee him playing unless that's gets hurt against Tennessee. Yeah. Then he'll, I fully expect him to play against Charleston, Charleston Southern. Yeah. I, I think he'll play. I think they will either do something like they had planned to do against South Carolina where it's two drives, one drive. But I think they're going to get him some movement just because, you know, if you go back to last year, one of the things that propelled JT in the starting lineup, I mean, obviously the, the injury to Stetson uh, accelerated that maybe. But, you know, dude, he was, he was working the scout team to show the coaching staff that he was ready and to stay sharp. And to your point with the lat injury, he's not had any even thing, anything even close to a live fire rep. Because of the injury. So I think he'll definitely play some Saturday. 
I think it gets more interesting if he plays well too, right? Because I, I think there's just going to be questions. I did think it was very eyebrow raising that Nolan Smith uncompelled in his uh, post-game press conference made a very throaty argument for Stetson Bennett, um, which was interesting. I thought, I don't know if he speaks for the locker room and that's a gauge in the locker room. I mean, I think Nolan is pretty outspoken, so you know, maybe he's just saying what he feels, right? But I thought that was interesting. Um, and take that for what it is. Maybe that doesn't matter, right? But, you know, if that's what one of the leaders in the team is coming out and saying to the gathered press, you know, we believe in Stetson and Stetson's our guy and X, Y, Z, well, I don't know. I mean, take what take take of that what you want. But I thought that was interesting. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's something to watch. Not something I'm worried about. Like I said, I – Coaching staff will make the right choice. They're there every day. Um, yeah, whatever they, whoever they roll out, I'm here for it, right? Like, I, I'm not going to be one of these folks standing over here going, oh, my God, they've got to play such and such. I just think you just got to trust in them and go with it. Um, because, again, they're the ones seeing it every day, and they're the ones with the guys every day. So they want to win, too. This was always my argument last year when people were complaining about Kirby like not playing you tell me what do you guys you guys think he don't want to win like <laughs> he's just doing this to rile you guys up like they're doing what they think is going to win the ball game all right and you've got to have faith in that I mean we don't have any control over it so I, I'm just going to kind of live in that space with it um you know I I don't have much to say about Mizzou like I said I think all this game is is will they cover the spread and I think they will maybe the bigger question is will they go over the total I think that's the only other question. Will they score enough points to cover the total themselves? Because I don't think Mizzou's going to score any points. That's the only reason I think the under's a little bit in play. But yeah, that's really the only question for me, brother. This is a beat the doors off of Mizzou and stay healthy game. That's all it is for me. It's a noon kick. Yeah. I mean, stay healthy and get to the Tennessee game healthy. That's it. That's the only only place I am with this. Uh, Really, that's the only place I am with the next four games is stay healthy and get to Atlanta. That's it. That's all I want. Because they're going to win Stay all four healthy, games. Stay healthy, survive in advance. Yeah, that's it. I could care less about the outcomes other than that because they're going to beat all four of those teams. I mean, I, you put that in the bank right now. Those teams just are not good enough to beat this football team. They're just not. So, yeah, everybody stay healthy for the next four weeks. Wrap all the important people up in bubble wrap if need be. <laughs> I just don't want any major injuries between now and then. I think the one story to watch, too, in the next month is whether or not Dom and George get back healthy for this postseason run. I think Dom looks more likely. Um, everything that keeps coming out about George is, well, you know, he might be cleared to practice by the SEC title game, but I'm feeling less and less optimistic that George has meaningful snaps before end of year, the more things kind of trickle out. So, yeah, I'm kind of waiting to see if Dom gets back because I do think that's a big piece if he can get back. Great player. Uh, has shown that every time he's been on the field. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what I'm watching. But, yeah, other than that, for me, this this weekend's about honoring Coach Richt and whether or not the dogs score enough points on their own to cover the total by themselves. <laughs> that's it. That's all I'm looking for here. We'll go ahead and pick the dogs game first because there's really you, you already really basically gave your pick, so I'll go ahead and give mine too. I think this is Bandy 2.0. I love Eli Drinkowitz. I think he's a heck of a coach, and I he's just in a really bad situation this year at Mizzou. And this week's going to get ugly quick. It's yeah. just 
there's he does they just don't have the, the, the Jimmys and the Joes. They just don't to, nope. to hang in. And we, especially if Basilic doesn't play, I there's no way this game's even remotely interesting for more than 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing compelling about it is if the dogs go out and try to put on a show and hang half a hundred because they're trying to make another push to get Luther Burden to flip one more time and sign with the dogs come December. But that's the only thing really compelling from a storyline perspective about this game for me is, hey, let's go out and show Luther Burden why he made the wrong choice again. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, other than that, I, this is going to just be about whether or not they hit the over by themselves. That's all this is. So, yes, that's so, my thing. They will absolutely cover this number. I just want to know if they're going to cover the over or not. Hit the over. All right. Well, we're both on the dog, so we're doing this a little backwards today. And we've got um, – I picked this slate completely by myself, and Herschel has no idea what the games are, so he's doing this completely blind. So this will be really entertaining, folks. Yep, bring it to me. So I think that all three of these noon kicks are very interesting. Some because of the line, some interesting matchups. So we're going to start with – Liberty and the Fighting Hugh Freezes going to Ole Miss. Yeah. Ole Miss favored by nine and a half. Ole Miss coming off a really just, I don't even know what that was. That was just a lackluster offensive performance. And I was shocked. Like, I was just floored the way the offense looked. The defense, I mean, the defense isn't ever really stellar. They're, They're serviceable. But I thought the offense just looked like it was stuck in neutral all game. So I don't really know what to feel about this one. I mean, Liberty Malik Willis is pretty much consensus across all the NFL draft prospects that he's the number one quarterback so far at, at this point, which just blows my mind that the, the number one quarterback in the NFL draft is going to be from Liberty. But uh, so who do you like in this one? I love Liberty. Love Liberty in this game. I mean, dude, this is a prove it game, all capital letters for Hugh Freeze. And for Malik Willis. Number one, Hugh Freeze didn't have the best exit from Oxford, right? And has essentially landed in Liberty as a chance to resurrect what I think most people would consider a very promising young coaching career when he was the head guy at, at Old Miss. That was not going to be his last stop, if not for the things that occurred off the field. So I think it's a big thing for him. Dude, and it's a really big thing for Malik Willis. Big time stage, back in the SEC, started his career at Auburn, was never going to see the field there, got told by the coaching staff that the, as a, when he was a junior that the quarterback competition was going to come down to Joey Gatewood and Bo Nix. So he said, kick rocks, I'm out of here, I got to get somewhere else. That's how he ends up at Liberty, right? So this is a prove-it game for him to come out and say, this is the stage I'm supposed to be on is playing in the SEC. I'm going to show all y'all what you missed out on by not recruiting me out of high school, by not giving me a shot when I was at Auburn. Dude, man, I think he goes out motivated and puts up some big-time numbers and, to your point, propels himself even further onto the radar of NFL draft scouts. So, yeah, give me Liberty all day long in this game. I like Liberty as well. Not so much because of Willis. I mean, Willis is a dynamic talent. And, I mean, where would Auburn be if they, they had started him at this point? or chosen him or developed him or where would Gus still be there? I mean, who knows, but I think Hugh freeze going back to the sec and really trying to propel himself to get out of Liberty. I mean, he's done great things there, but it's still, it's in Lynchburg, Virginia. 
Yep. It's a small I, private school. There's only so much you can do there. In fairness, they got all the resources in the world and they got beautiful facilities. They do. But your point is very much taken. It ain't the SEC. It's not, it's not, it's not the Big 12. It's not yeah. any, it's not a it's not a big conference. It's yeah. I, what is that stadium seat? 18,000? Yeah, maybe. Uh, well, maybe. maybe more. I don't know. Maybe more. I don't know. It's not still. much. So he wants to get back to big boy football. And I think this game will go a long way to showing that regardless of the baggage that he's worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So give me Liberty. I think Liberty wins straight up nine and a half. I'm taking it all day. Yeah. All right. Plus man, Ole Miss's defense stinks. Yeah. It's, it's garbage. And it's that once again, another, another unit that has gotten worse throughout the year. So, which was, they started off really good and they've gotten worse throughout the year. This game, next game, not so much because of the matchup, but because of the line. Wake Forest going to Chapel Hill. The Tar Heels favored by two and a half. Really surprising line for me. Who do you like here? Oh, I love, love the Demon Deacons. Like, for me, that was... That was one of the things about the CFP rankings. And look, I know everybody said, oh, they haven't played anybody, blah, 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 blah. Homie, you only play who's on your schedule. They're eight no. Like, I thought they should have been ranked higher in the CFP. I think Sam Hartman is a fantastic player. I think he runs that slow mesh that they run with um, at Wake really well. Dude, he's really coming to his own. Can run the football, throw the football. They obviously play well together. Um, I think they have a lot of the kind of COVID super seniors that stayed on. Um, you know, this is what Clawson has to do there. Like they have to have guys in four year cycles and then take advantage when they have a really heavy senior presence with guys who can play. And I think that's what's happening right now. And look, man, has there been a more overrated and oversold team in the country than Carolina? Like they've, they've just been, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. I just, I don't see it, man. I, they are, they're just a bunch of pair of shoes. That team is Sam Howells had a super average year um, to the point where I think he really has to consider coming back again uh, because dude, he's had a, not a great year given what his expectations were. We're talking, he was one of the dudes on the Heisman list. Like, yeah, I mean, he, he ain't been nothing. So yeah, man, I love waking this game. I love them. I do as well. I think Wake goes in and I mean, let's be honest. The the Tar Heels defense, they can't stop anybody. They and Wake is scoring pretty much at will at this point. I think they I, I love the over in this as well. Yeah. I think that there's this this game is going to be high scoring, and I think that Wake puts up a ton of points and blows out the Tar Heels. I mean, the Tar Heels are four and four. I mean, they may not be bowl eligible when all said and done this year. So I know that you can technically get in under 500 now with all of the bowls, but I mean, we're talking like really low tier bowl at this point when this, this, they had new year six aspirations going into this season. Yeah. All right. This next game, I don't know what to do with. And you're probably going to go one way and I'm probably going to go the other on this one. Ohio State coming off, beating uh, the Nittany Lions, going to Nebraska. Nebraska's three and six. But they're 
better than that three and six record. And they really realistically should have probably won three of those games that they lost. Ohio State's favored by 14 and a half. Another noon kick. I know Ohio State's used to it. It feels like every game they play, but I think two of them have been at noon. So I, Nebraska's got a really good defense. Ohio State's got a really good off, really, really good offense. I don't really know what to do with this one. That spread just seems it's asking you to take Nebraska, I feel like. It's asking you to take it and then just Ohio State to dump truck them. I love Ohio State in this game. I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put anything of value on Nebraska's football team doing anything positive if my life depended on it. Like, they stink out loud. So, yes, give me Ohio State all day. See, and I feel like Ohio State's going to have a little hangover after last week, and they're going to come out sluggish. This game reminds me so much of the opening game against Minnesota. And they're going to come out sluggish. They're going to, and then they're going to turn it up in the second half and they're going to win. They're going to win by two scores, but they're going to win by 14 or 10. They're not going to win by 17. So I'm going to take the Cornhuskers to cover. I don't think they're, they have a snowball chance in hell of winning, but I'm going to take them to cover. Now we get into the games that are pretty much just a conglomeration of good matchups and games are, eh, are they going to cover this ginormous spread or not? So what I think is probably going to be the game of the day. You got the Auburn Tigers, the Bo Nix Renaissance going to Kyle Field, 12th man taking on the Aggies. Texas AM favored by four and a half. 330 kick, CBS game of the week. Yeah, I this is the thing, man. Texas AM is a one-trick pony. They're the Alabama win and nothing else. Like, if you remove the Alabama game from their schedule and, and the eye test composite of them, they stink, right? Like, I, I, they're just so, so average to me. And I think Auburn has got a lot to play for right now. They still control their own destiny. They could play in the SC title game if they went out. So, man, I – and as a dog, a road dog, I don't know, man. I, I, like, I like Auburn in this game. I'm going War Eagle. This goes against every fiber of my being. <laughs> I hate picking Bonix in anything, but I agree with you. I agree with you. If this was a night game at a and I'm taking A&M. 330 kick. I don't know how, how juiced up that 12th man is going to be. I think, I think Auburn goes in and, I mean, like you said, they, they're playing for a lot. After last week, the defense playing the way they did, I think that they can shut down AM's offense. And I think they're gonna, I think they win outright. And I mean, Iron Bowl is gonna be interesting. Iron Bowl is gonna be real, real interesting. Yeah. So we're both on War Eagle, which just feels nauseating coming out of my mouth. <laughs> All right. Penn State offense stinks out loud. Defense, really, really talented defense. Going up to Maryland, going to College Park to play Talia Tagovailoa, Loxley, and the Maryland Terrapins. Got an afternoon kickoff there. Penn State, however, favored by nine and a half. The spread is very intriguing to me because Maryland has a very good offense at home other than when they played Iowa. When Iowa just blew the doors off them on that Friday night game. They also threw six picks that night, which is problematic. Yeah. Uh, this is I tough, know. man. I, Penn State, 
I just James don't Franklin think Mar- does nothing for me. I just don't think Maryland's any good. And I, it seems that based on last week's game, Sean Clifford is getting healthier. And I think Penn state is closer to a good, not even close to great, but a good football team. If Sean Clifford's healthy. And I think he's getting healthier. And because of that, I'm going to take Penn state to cover. I think Penn state wins because their defense is makes enough plays, but I just don't like their offense. Even though Maryland's defense stinks out loud, I don't like their offense at all. Um, I'm going to take Maryland to cover. I don't like it. I would not put money on this game. I would stay away from this game uh, 99 out of a hundred times, but I, since we needed a 10th game, this was the 10th game I had to pick this week. So, <laughs> all right. Moving on to a game that's also very interesting because of the line. The number three ranked Michigan State Spartans going to Purdue to play the Boilermakers, who, other than Iowa, that win against Iowa really looked really kind of lackluster all, all season. Huge letdown last week after their big win. Michigan State favored by two and a half. They just kind of ho-humming along, doing what they do, running the ball, play good defense, play action game. Really just your basic NFL, NFL, solid NFL team is what they remind me of. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You telling me the number three team in all the land is going to West Lafayette and they're only favored by two and a half points? Yep. Boy, this... This smells like 10-day-old socks, like mm-hmm. th- something something funky about this thing, man. And see, I hate messing with Vegas and stuff like this, but like this just screams for me to take all of my mortgage payments for the calendar year of 2022 and put it on Michigan State. Like, no chance they're not winning this game by a field goal. Like, you kidding me? Kenneth Walker may run for 300 yards against Purdue, and they're going to play great defense. I mean, what, what is what is Vegas worried about here? The letdown after the big win over Michigan, second straight year winning the Paul Bunyan Trophy, and being number three in the country and not being able to handle it and something going wrong. Like I, I just don't understand this. Like matchup wise, this seems like a no brainer. Sparty's gonna, uh, yeah. I'm taking. I'm not even gonna overthink this. I'm taking Sparty, hundred <clears> percent. <throat> I think Vegas's point of view is Purdue's already done it once this year. It's in Purdue. And Michigan State on the road against lesser opponents, they kind of played down to the competition. I mean, look what oh, they did they against what? Nebraska. Yeah, they, they worried about so, like IU Nebraska. Well, here's my thing, dude. This game reminds me of that Wisconsin Notre Dame game in Chicago, where Notre Dame was plus six and a half, and it was like, um, in what world am I not going to take Notre Dame? This is that. This is precisely how I feel about this. I, in what world would I not take Michigan State with that number? Yeah, I mean, I'm taking Sparty too. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm just playing devil's advocate and saying what I think Vegas is thinking. I think this line changes quite a bit before kick. Um, if this line goes up quite a bit, I would be shocked if it's not four and a half, at least four and a half by kick. So, I mean, I'm not sure Michigan State loses potentially before the Big Ten Championship. So I think that's their next biggest competition, in my opinion. They don't play Ohio State in regular season? I don't think so. If I'm wrong, then maybe we'll talk about that. But I'm, I don't think they play Ohio State in regular season. Oh, I think they do. I think Ohio, oh, State, clo- I think Ohio State closes their season with Michigan State and Michigan. 
I think. Michigan State, Michigan. Oh, okay. Well, then I maybe. It, well, I mean, I, I still, you know, might feel that way. You know, I, I like, I, I mean, I like this team. I like the makeup of this team. So Mel Tucker's the anti-Dan Mullen, you know, using the portal to his advantage, building a solid team, getting the right people. I'm, I'm sorry, the anti-Dabo Swinney. Anti-Dabo Swinney. Wrong, wrong, wrong orange-colored coach. So um, building his team the right way, you know, through the, through the cur- in the current landscape of college football. I like the makeup of this team. I like the way they play football. I think that they're, they're built for the long haul. I hope I'm right. I love Mel Tucker. You know, go Sparty. Moving on to another interesting SEC game. Did you see where Mississippi State was ranked in the college football playoff? Yes. Dude, in the top did, 20. Did that floor you? Yes, I about fell off my chair. Okay. I'm not, I wasn't the only one. So, Dude, uh, a lot of the rankings were I was kind of going, what? But that's neither here nor there. I felt like Mississippi State got ranked <clears throat> that high simply to give Bama another quality win. Uh, 100%. Okay. I'm glad I'm not the only one that feels that way. 100%. (laughs) And I love Mike Leach. If anyone's listening to the show knows how much I love Mike Leach. So, but anyways, Mississippi State going to the Fighting Sam Pittman's, Arkansas favored by six, coming off of two losses. Eh, I'm not a huge fan of this line at all. I got it. And I really, I love both these teams and I don't know what to do with this one. Here's why this makes me nervous is because Mike Leach is coming off a game where they just made me look like an idiot from the show last week where I said, you know, Coach Stoops' defense will go down there and just control clock and limit them from doing what they do. And then Will Rogers has a record-setting passing performance, completing 92% of his passes. It's an SEC record for attempts, over 30 attempts in a game. He completes 92% of his passes. Like, so I'm a little conflicted, especially given what Barry Odom's defense has done their last two times out on the field, which is just essentially get scored all over. So this is tough, man. I, it's kind of like dangling out there. You kind of want to take Will Rogers and Mississippi State to cover that. I don't. I think Arkansas will win. I think they get back on the right side of things, and I like Arkansas, man. I, KG Jefferson's a good story there. Kendall Bros calls a good game. I mean, I think there's a lot to like, and I think they're a different team at home than they are on the road. Um, man, this is this is tough. Tough number. Um, I'm going to take the Razorbacks only because it looks better for Georgia for Arkansas to win more games. And we don't play Mississippi State this year, so I really care less about what Mississippi State does in the conference. So that's the only reason I'm taking Arkansas. This is a really difficult game to pick. I could very easily see Mississippi State covering this. Maybe even winning straight up, but I'm taking the Razorbacks. Go Pig Suey. Woo! I'm going with the pirate ship. Of course you are. I think that this game matches up terribly for Arkansas. It goes exactly against what Arkansas's defense wants to do. Yeah. Because they want to keep everything in front of them, which is perfect, but that's exactly what Mississippi State wants to do. They want to throw those really short intermediate passes that are basically run extensions, three to five mm-hmm. yards, and just nickel and dime it down the field and, ho- and hope they bust one. That's what they want to do. This, this is match. I-, I could see Mississippi State having the ball for, I don't know, 40 minutes, just nickel and diming it down the field, especially if Rodgers is on even close to what he was last week. And I'm not saying Mississippi State wins, but I think that it's really close 
And Mississippi State's defense has played okay. Arkansas yeah. has not looked really well the last two weeks. I don't know. This just I know Arkansas is coming off a bye and has a chance to had two weeks to prepare for it. It's just it screams, you know, after that week, it screams to me that Leach has finally found the rhythm that he wants with his offense. And once well, that offense gets going, it's hard to stop. I will say this, and this is kind of why I'm hesitant to, to jump on them this week. Did Will Levis played about as bad a football game as you could play last weekend? And if he just plays normal, okay, even if he has a turnover, I still think Kentucky wins that football game. But, dude, I mean, he had just some egregious turnovers in that football game. The, the, dude, the worst one was 14-10. They're driving in before the half. At worst, they're getting a field goal to make it 14-13 before the half. And he just throws up a lollipop at the goal line that Mississippi State intercepts in double coverage. And it's like, I don't know. I, I think if K.J. Jefferson plays a pretty clean game, I could very easily see them winning the football game. I, the number's what's weird for me. It's I don't know number, if I see yeah. him winning by – I don't know if I see him winning by a touchdown. That's the tough part for me. But I'm taking him. I, I just – I think a lot has to go right for Mississippi State to do well. I, I don't know. To, again, I'm shocked they are in the top 20. Shocked. I am as well. And like I said, I think the like we said, the, we think the only reason that's there is to give Bama another quality win. Speaking yes. of the Tide, LSU going down to Tuscaloosa. Will Bama cover 29 and a half? Yeah, this is one where I don't know, man. I. I'm a little conflicted on this one too because they've looked like they are on a mission since the AM game to kind of come out and show like, oh, that was a that was a fluke. We've got our mind right now. We are the Alabama everybody thinks we are. I don't know, man. I just think there's some some cracks in the marble this year for them. And I the reason that it's tricky is because it's in Tuscaloosa. And I think LSU is built currently where if Alabama comes out and gets hot early and it's 21 nothing before you blink an eye in the first quarter, it could be 50 to seven. Like, I just think that's where they're at. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to stick with what I've stuck with all year when it comes to Alabama. They obviously burned me in the AM game, but I, I'm taking them. I'm taking them to cover that number just because I don't believe in LSU at all. And again, I think Alabama is on a mission to get back to Atlanta and try to insert themselves into the playoffs one way or another. I hate, I hate this slate of games. I actually felt, felt more confident about my picks last week than I did this week, and we were terrible last week. No, so, we won't talk about last week. <laughs> I said that the Tigers had quit on Kojo. They come out and they beat Florida. I don't think there's any way a snowball chance in hell they win this game. But this is a huge rivalry game. You know, rivalry games are weird. Weird things happen. I think it's, I think Bama wins. I think they win big. But I could also see a backdoor cover here. I, I think I'm going to, I don't know. I think I'm going to go with the Tigers just for argument's sake and try to catch a game for, against you. Um, see what happens. It's I saw your coach O guilt coming out. You've been just you just yeah. been sweating. You just been sweating guilt after you lambasted them. This is felt, this is a coach O guilt pick. It I is. It's felt, really my, what my it boy is. Boy felt bad. Boy felt bad. Came out and made a brash statement, and then they come out and 
just eat up the Gators. It's the first and time I picked fine. the Gators since week one. Uh, week one, I know. okay. Uh, I know. And so, yeah, I, right. that's that's a big number, man. <laughs> if this wasn't LSU, if this was I don't know another team, I'd probably I would pick them. I mean, I picked them over Miss over Mississippi State. You know how much I love Leach, so. All right, last game for us because we picked our games in reverse this week. Tennessee going to Kentucky. Night game at Kroger. Kentucky favored by half a point. So a pick them. And it's going to be really, really cold. It's apparently going to be like really cold. Yeah, like game time temps in the 20s, apparently. Yeah. My I kind think, of weather. I think that benefits Kentucky, to be honest with you. Like, that's the kind of game they want to play, run the ball 50 times and just play defense. Like, I, I think it all bodes well for Kentucky. And Tennessee's the exact opposite. Coach Heupel and Hen Hooker and that offense want to come out and high fly it and run a play every second. And I don't know, man. I, I, I'm i going to go with Kentucky. I, I'm still surprised, and I think it had a lot to do with how Will Levis played about what happened in Starkville. But I still think this is a good football team with a good defense. And I think they're going to beat Tennessee. I agree. This is a matchup of teams that are the exact opposite of each other. Just like you said, Kentucky wants to run the ball, play good defense, and Tennessee wants to, you know, run the UCF offense and just, you know, sling it around the yard and run as many plays that they want to run 80, 90 plays a game. And when you're playing in that kind of weather, no matter how much you practice it, you're just not used to it until you're out in it. And you know, your blood thickens up a little bit when you're out in 20 degree weather. It just does. It's just natural human nature. So they may get used to it as the game goes on. We'll see. But I think Kentucky wins this. And I think Kentucky's looking for, you know, a, this is almost a prove it game for them after last week. Yep. So, you know, they were looking at best season in program history at 11 and one. I mean, they're still going to have, you know, they still could have a very good season this year, but that's now out the window. So, I still think that they had a shot at New Year's Six Bowl that that's out the window now too. I still think they want to come out, win the rest of their games. I mean, obviously they want to win the rest of their games, but I think they want to come out and prove that they are as good as everyone thought they were. Yeah. Yeah, I think it sets up well for them to rebound and get a good win. So, yeah, I feel good about the Wildcats. So, well, there's our 10 picks. Oh, and our line for the Georgia game, just so you know, is 39 and a half from Tally's side. <laughs> I still think they cover that. Yeah, me too. I think they're hanging half a hundred. And I don't think Mizzou's going to score. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. All so, right, we need, to, we need to rebound after last week because last week was embarrassing. So, Yeah, last week was rough. But, you know, hey, we're, not, we're, we're in a loud and down week every once in a while. That's true. That's true. We have been on fire all year. So on one down week is okay. All right, homie. Well, we're in a good spot, brother. Number one in the country, staring down 12-0. and 0. I feel great about it. I am the rare Georgia fan. Well, you are too, that has nothing to complain about. And for me, having nothing to complain about as a Georgia fan is, is, is a great thing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, homie. Well, we'll check in after, uh, after the dogs walk all over Mizzou. And until then, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, Georgia's better now.